Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody and Steve. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for the Liberty Block. We invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. And today we're once again joined by Mike and Elliot, and then we are honored once again to have a special guest, State Representative Melissa from New Hampshire. So welcome everybody. Hey, Steve. Hey, Jody. Hey, Mike and everybody else. Hello. How's everybody doing? So, here. <laughs> Melissa, um, since you're the honored guest of the day, and I asked you on the show to basically touch on two issues. Number one is, I know that you attended some sort of rally in New Hampshire the other day. If you want to talk about what that was about, what it was supposed to accomplish, and what it did or did not accomplish. And secondly, you were part of a pretty interesting discussion on Facebook that some of the rest of us were also part of about governments forcing employers to force their employees to get vaccines. So the floor is yours, Melissa. All right, so the event on Monday, um, I was not a part of the group that planned it. Um, and I actually, I found out about it super, super last minute, but they were filing remonstrance um, against the governor and the AG. Um, so in the state of New Hampshire, we have article 10 of our constitution, which gives us the right to revolution. Um, but you only have the right to revolution if you all manners of redress have been exhausted. Well, apparently, historically, there are actual manners of redress. Um, the only one that is still sort of possible is filing remonstrance. But because our state house um, is locked, I believe for the first time in history because of COVID, um, we actually could not officially file remonstrance. So I guess they taped it to the door. Um, <laughs> uh, but you, we have the right to revolution in that if we have uh, attempted all manners of redress, you can either completely dissolve your government or you can by citizen decision, simply remove someone from office. So how would you how would you physically do that, by the way? Well, I think, you know, the way that the government in, in the old days, this was like a real thing that would happen. Um, unfortunately, our particular government is considering this to be antiquated, even though it's still legally a thing. Um, but they're pretending that it's not. And that's where we are with that. Listen, it's, it's another we're throwing everything at it. See what sticks. So how many people there were among the crazy libertarian wackos and how many serious people, state representatives, et cetera, showed up? Um, there was a handful of state representatives besides myself, um, maybe like six others, five, six others. Um, and there were about 100 people total. Um, mostly, honestly, it was a lot of mothers with their children. Okay, so yeah. wackos, basically. <laughs> that was That's amazing. People. Yep. And it, I, did everyone see the uh, protests in Oregon? I don't know if anybody saw all those YouTubes out there. Yes. Yeah. It's, the one in New Hampshire didn't get that loud, did it? No, no. This, again, this is like a really small little group that, that did it. It was like 100 people. Um, I think we're, you know, a few groups are planning um, a bigger, more, um, 
ruckus filled uh, protest um, of the governor's inauguration on January 7th. So, okay, anybody wanna comment on this before we move to Melissa's next topic? What's yeah, your go, end game, go. Melissa? I'm sorry? What is your end game? What's the end game? Well, are you looking for newspaper headlines? Are you gonna frog march? Well, I did not plan this event. Um, I thought it, it it wasn't greatly promoted um, because the whole point of a protest is to be able to get media attention and they didn't do that at all. Um, we will send out a press release and get some media there for the seventh because that's that's really what you're always looking for. Well, what were the grievance? Do you have a list of the grievances that were? Oh, it's a really long document, and it, yeah, it's actually it pretty. State House with a microphone and everything. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I'll send it to you guys afterwards. It's it's very long. He spells Lisa, out. Yeah. Let's get an article for Liberty Block between me, you, Daniel Richard. There's no reason we can't get a, an article up. Sure. With that list, I know he read the whole long list there. Yeah. An article about Monday's event, the list, the grievances, and um, the steps to take before Article 10. So Ed, Ed, I want to ask you a question. I know you're the rational mind on the show, and you're asking to what end. Is it an end in itself to make it known that people are just really unhappy, and is that in itself a good thing? Um, I mean, I see, I, th I think it's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, if you're going to invoke the right to revolution, and then not really have any plans for revolution, it almost seems self-defeating. It seems like whatever excitement you might gin up, whatever support you might gin up, if you don't have any plan for how you're going to go forward with it, it seems almost self-defeating to, to do it. That's And I don't mean to be a downer about it, but I'm that's why I'm asking. What's I think what Melissa just said, and I hadn't even thought about it till just a second ago when she said it, is according to Article 10, the proper way to do it, and the same with the Declaration of Independence, the proper way to do it is try every single means of redress possible, file your grievances. If they continue to abuse you and violate you and treat you like a slave, oh well, then we have a last resort, which is- No, but Ed, what Ed is saying is if you're not gonna play that card, then you're, you're undercutting yourself by threatening to. Oh, I think oh. we're still several steps away from, I oh. mean, filing remonstrance is one means of addressing grievance. But we are gonna go through the process because unlike them, we're gonna do it with some integrity in the right way, unlike the- violators of our freedom who don't follow their own rules. But can I just mention how amazing it is that I don't think any other state has this. We have multiple state reps now who have discussed the natural right to revolution, to abolish their government and install a new one. Um, in New Hampshire, I've heard multiple state reps talks about, talk about it from this, this uh, state legislature to the last one. I think Josh Moore has mentioned it and a lot of others have actually mentioned, hey, we have a natural right to remove the government because we are the power. Okay, can I be, I want to be clear, and I know, Melissa, you read a lot in New Hampshire. Revolution is synonymous with secession or not? No. So, our, and it specifically says this in Article 10, it can be dissolving a government and starting anew, or it can be as simple as removing one person from office. Okay, so this would, would have nothing in parallel to seceding. No, we would still be part of the, the, the federal government. This has to do with the state government. I'm fascinated, fascinated by that. Do you know when most recently it, it took place? The, well, I mean, it's part of our original constitution. It was ratified in the- Has it been, you know, been really played out and vote? No, vote? it has never been played out before ever. So one of the things I think our side has to be careful, we're never treated the same as the left in media, right? So like Ed said, I think caution because 
if you step into it without a good plan, then you're just going to be, you're just going to be highlighted by the left and certainly in media as crazies. That's what they do. That's how they yeah. work. Yeah. Right. But the, but the press is brilliant because if you don't, then they say, well, you guys don't really care that much anyway. Yeah, I know. So you're you're kind of caught with that. Okay. So basically if you were to win this, you would install a new governor basically. Right. Hypothetically. And yeah. is it a little bit weird then for a state rep to try to undermine the government of which they're a part? Um, oh. Why? I... In other yeah. words, are you not yeah, asking? I'm a citizen too. Just citizen. Like I'm a citizen yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I disagree with my governor. I think that um, he has violated the Constitution and civil liberties. And um, yeah, and the same thing with the AG. This was also to remove the AG as well. He well, is. Let me just, I'm sorry. Let me interject for a second, though. I mean, I think, Stephen, your question conflates recall with revolution. Revolution, if you have a revolution, and you carry forward with this plan, there is no more constitution. There is no more position of governor. There's nothing. You have to start over. That's not what our article of revolution says. Well, what does it say? Well, we can find it. Let me give you a second. I'll talk about something else. <laughs> well, I mean, while you're looking that up, I mean, to me, when I hear the word revolution and dissolving the government, to me, that means there's no more government and you start over. And I think that's what the average person is going to think. I don't okay. you know. But she was saying they might just remove the governor. Right. He, he, yeah. Well, does New Hampshire have recall? No, we do not. So is there a practical way as far as a few steps? Because we know a recall is a vote and all that. Is there using Article 10 to remove Justin Nudo? Is there a practical way? Or would it be kind of I like a messy revolution? Daniel Richard knows this better than I do. I don't really, I, I honestly had not really heard of official manners of redress until the night before this event. So um, I, I actually did not know. So here's the right to uh, revolution. Government being instituted for the common benefit, protection and security of the whole community and not for the best private interest or emolument of any one man, family or class of men. Therefore, whenever the ends of government are perverted and public liberty manifestly endangered and all other means of redress are ineffectual, the people may and of right ought to reform the old or establish a new government. The doctrine of non-resistance against arbitrary power and oppression is absurd, slavish, and destructive of the good and happiness of mankind. So what it specifically says is you have the right to reform the old, which is what we are looking to do. It's a broad term. Reform is a very broad term. Right. Mm -hmm. but, but so you dissolve, can make it mean anything. But it also said dissolve, right? I mean... Or, or establish a new. So it, it, it's an either or. You can either reform the old or establish a new. I mean, we're not looking to like just wipe out the state government and start all over again. Although as far as bargaining and uh, negotiation, maybe I could be over here pushing for that and that we could compromise for... <laughs> for removing Sununu? Yeah, okay. As, as any Republican will say when I... If I even has mentioned anything like... But he won in a landslide. He's super popular. Nobody's going to want to remove him from office. It's hard for me to fathom that you could get people to support revolution no. and then limit revolution just to replacing the governor or replacing the attorney general. If you get people to support revolution, revolution means something different than just recalling one or two office holders. Yeah, I guess the question is, are, are there practical steps 
for for probably re- not probably not i mean this is why you know i'm the executive director of rebuild nh and we have not gone down this path <laughs> right um, this was started by somebody else now it's interesting anybody know how many states have recalls for governors i know i, I know there's another movement uh in new jersey i mean first of all i don't these recalls ever work? I, I don't. I don't know. Uh, California, they have recalled governors. Yes. Well, California it does work. I'll give the guy credit in New Jersey. If you're familiar with the Attilus Gym, I think it's called. And the yes, guy, yeah, you to try to open his gym, and and Murphy's uh, sick the dogs on him, boarded the place up, and everything. That guy has started a petition to get rid of him. But there's no chance. I don't think currently there's any chance. Maybe California did it decades ago, but there's no chance of any recall working now. California it's, did it with Gray Davis. That wasn't a long time ago. But I don't I don't see Newsom because he has 99% support. I don't see him being recalled. People say they hate Kate Baker and Whitmer and Cuomo and Murphy. Whitmer, and it was, they're not going to work. Recall petition was begun in Michigan, too. I don't think it went anywhere. But I but it did go in California at one point. There's so. a there's a beginning of a recall petition in for Newsom as well. Right, I know they have almost I, I, a million. Not, I wouldn't bet on it happening, on him being removed. Okay, I want to go on to that next subject, which to me was fascinating because when we first started this podcast, one of our things was libertarian versus conservative. And this whole issue of my employer tells me if I want to keep my job, I have to prove I got vaccinated. Normally, for a libertarian, would be they can say whatever they want. I wanted this job. I took, I accepted their terms. They're a private business. But here we have a government cracking down on employers. And I thought the whole issue was a really fascinating one. Ed, you want to uh, voice your viewpoint on this? My viewpoint, I mean, I think that we've had a long discussion about whether the government should be empowered to interact, to intervene in the private sector and the private market when you've got totalitarian actors that are working either in cahoots directly with with the government with other parts of the government or with a political party or or if not working directly they're working indirectly i mean you know we, we talked about the social media companies you can't tell me that the social media companies can go over to china work hand in hand with the chinese government to help them perfect implement and enforce censorship and then not bring those lessons that they learned over in China back to the United States. And whether Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi pick up the phone and call, or whether they create a revolving door where their staffers get hired by by Google and Facebook, and you know, and then the you know the employees of Google and Facebook get hired as staffers on Capitol Hill. You have a revolving door where you have this commingling of of actors that work for the government and for these big companies, at some point, the rest of us have a right to say we can defend ourselves. And we formed a government in part to defend ourselves against threats, both foreign and domestic. And, you know, where that line is, I'm not sure that there's a bright line where it is, but, you know, I think it's sort of akin to what Melissa was talking about with revolution. You know, I don't know where it is, but there is a point at where I know it when I see it. And, you know, I think I think with the social media companies, we're way past there. Okay, but- so let me let me ask the simple question. I own a bar. I have six employees. I'm worried about COVID. I say to you, you know what? I can't let you keep your job if you don't get a vaccination. I think in normal times, 
most of us would say that's my right to do it. I'm a private employer. Am I correct about that part? I agree. What, what are normal times? I mean, what uh, are normal, 10, normal 10 years ago. Your health information is private information. You're, you're not required to share your health information in normal times. By the way, it's illegal. An employer illegal, can demand anything in the world they want. Isn't it illegal for employers to ask any health questions? Uh, I don't know if it's illegal, but it's they're not allowed to discriminate against any disability. Yeah, but they can't. They, I mean, it's it's very common that they, you know, if you work in healthcare, you would be required to get an influenza shot, for instance. If you're in health. But well, but technically, any employer could do. Oh, that. Sure. I mean, isn't just healthcare, right? I mean, it kind of spans a lot of. Different I don't know. Things. To my knowledge, what it should be. I'm not a, a labor lawyer. To my knowledge, when you're interviewed for a job, they're not allowed to ask you any health-related questions whatsoever. No, they can't ask you, you know, oh, do you have a, this kind of disability? No, that's true. Not to get- and They can't, in a normal world, a year ago, they could not ask you if you had pneumonia or the flu. Am I correct? If you have it, no, but they can ask that I don't you, think you get are. a vaccine and or show proof that you have already had that vaccine. In a non- in a non-health related about use? disabilities. What allows health care workers to be required to do that would apply technically to any job. I don't know. Um, anybody here ever have a job not in the health field? I, I, or, I think there's two things we might be conflating. There's HIPAA, which doesn't apply to anyone besides for healthcare workers, I think. It means I can't share information from from patients but you lay people can do whatever you want. So HIPAA doesn't apply to anyone here as, unless they, they work, they are right. a healthcare provider. Now the, the non-discrimination federal laws against disabilities, I'm not an expert in. And that would be, you can't discriminate against someone who has an amputee, an amputation or who's uh, developmentally disabled. Maybe you can't discriminate. And that's where it gets more complicated. But I think we're talking about that disability thing and not HIPAA. So let's put HIPAA. I don't, I don't know. I actually think you're not allowed to normally ask. So that would be interesting. That'd be a right so, to privacy, right? It, yeah, it, it brings up all kinds of issues. I mean, you what are they normally, ask you can't let people go because they're ill. So, all right. So now, because what I what I'm worried about saying is, I could say I don't want you working for me, but if you say, but the government made you say that, then you could sue me if I let you go. So that's where I'm a little bit confused. Well, that's where it gets complicated because the government can either overtly or covertly put pressure on businesses to make those vaccine mandates. And that's where it gets awkward. Well, they're um, very overt about it right now. But they can take away licenses or put more pressure on, you know, federally on, on OSHA um, inspections or take away licenses or take away the license from this bar, but not from that bar because this bar didn't mandate masks and vaccines. All right, so let me ask it in yeah. a simple way. Do we, does everybody here today agree that private employers should not be able to let you go if you refuse a vaccine? There were way too many negatives. There were too many negatives. I believe in total freedom and freedom of association. Anyone can do anything they want. So, the, so you're okay with a private business firing you because you refuse to get a COVID vaccine? That's fine. Private employers can do it they want. Okay. No, okay. I mean, first of all, I, I don't think you can ask the question in a vacuum because so many businesses are regulated by the government or involved with the government that it doesn't have to be a direct government regulation for it to be an indirect regulation by the government. I mean, if the government, you know, if the if the government issues some regulation that says, well, we only do business with people that are vaccinated, you know, with businesses that vaccinate, 
Well, business can choose not to do business with the government and it's up to them to decide to. If the business then, based on that regulation or that executive order, decides, well, we're going to make sure all of our employees are vaccinated, is that truly private action or is that government controlled action? And makes a great point. The fact that the government exists screws up everything. That's why it shouldn't. (laughs) Okay, so here's, we have put in a bill um, and this was an argument that I had. So Andrew Manus wrote this bill. Um, he's not a state rep, but he wrote this bill. It was, it, it's an amendment to a current civil rights, uh, statute that it's, it's that, you know, every state has that you can't discriminate against somebody for their, you know, sex, uh, race, religion, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, we are adding on to that to include that you cannot discriminate against somebody for their vaccination status or their, um, ability to use a medical device. Now, in my opinion, a mass, the mass situation is what has opened my eyes to how broad um, government's authority over private business is, right? So here in New Hampshire, a ma- our mask mandate is very recent. Now it is true that the governor required people, uh, employees to wear masks, okay? But I could, there was no requirement for a customer to wear a mask and yet, one by one, big business stepped in and said, oh no, this is a corporate policy that all customers, and they actually did it as a block. All the retail chains did it together as a block. And then all the grocery chains did it together as a block. And then that left the small businesses I mean, some of them held out, but a lot of them were like, well, I think we need to move with the big business because, and so they just kind of got pulled along in the tidal wave of like societal pressure then. Now, and I see everything that has happened with the mask being transferred over to the vaccine when it becomes available to the general public. That every, exactly, you won't be able to go into a store, you won't be able to get on a plane, you won't be able to have a job if you do not have this vaccine. And so I'm looking here, this article I'm reading says the US Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has allowed companies to mandate the flu and other vaccines and has indicated that they can require COVID-19 vaccines but there are exemptions for medical and religious reasons, which of course brings up a whole other ball of wax. I think we have to be careful also of, of the slippery slope the other direction. I think all of us here a year or two ago would have said that the Colorado baker should have been able to choose whether he's gonna sell or not sell a yeah. cake to a gay wedding. Yes. And you know, we, we said, no, you, 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 have to, you have to be able to sell to him. But that, that's also an issue of forced speech. It's not. I don't think it's forced speech. I don't, I mean, you know, not to take uh, Facebook's side of the argument in, in the social media co- context, but I mean, if I bake a cake for your wedding, I mean, I'm not doing the speaking. It's not like anyone who's seeing that cake even knows who baked the cake. I mean, unless I put my card on it or something. Yeah, but if somebody <laughs> walks into a bakery and says, uh, I want on my cake, I love Hitler. Hitler's great. I, I, I don't have to do that. You know what I mean? That, that's for speech. Kate, wait, what are you saying? I'm sorry. Are you saying we would have said that that baker should have had to bake that cake for that couple? Say the it's a, it's a property rights issue. That the government shouldn't be able to force him. Oh, yeah. Okay. To make it. I thought you were and saying. Now we're, and now we're saying that the government should force the employer to accept 
you know, people who aren't vaccinated. And we're sort of arguing inconsistent positions. And it is inconsistent. Yeah, no, and I actually do understand that. And I had I had a really long argument with this because I argued that position that no, the libertarian perspective is that um, business should be allowed to do what they want. However, what I saw happening with the mass situation that I feel like is going to be transferred over to the vaccination is that big business is so in bed with the Democrat Party, as you were saying before, that we no longer have a free market system. We have corporatism that is starting to board on fascism with how interconnected government and business is. And um, we're not fighting the same fight anymore. But then how do we, okay, and Ed, I'm glad you brought up the bakery. How do we then translate that to the bakery? We don't, it's being inconsistent because- Yeah, it's a, pro it's a property rights issue. And for consistent, then that, that property owner gets to do whatever they want. Right, but now we're saying when once you cross a certain and then, line- and you, it, Yeah, and then you're also talking about essentially a contract, right? You're, you're agreeing to become an employee. You're agreeing to those terms. So, okay, I'm assuming you're already employed in a place. Now they say you got to take the COVID-19 vaccination. If we're saying the employer can't force us to do that, then we're being inconsistent with the bakery thing. We are. No, I agree. Um, you're saying, you're, wait, you're saying the, the employer shouldn't be forced to, or are you, you're they're saying- either, they're, they're either free to do what they want or not. Yeah, well- I'm for freedom. I they should be able to. Okay, so if the government tells every employer, small and large, that you can fire anybody you want who refuses a vaccination, then consistently say we we would have to back that. But we we need we need to differentiate between the government mandating it and the employer of their own volition. But that's why I asked you, we can no longer tell if it's of their own volition anymore because we're so- That's the problem, yeah. Okay, but that's, to me, that's a different problem with therefore a different solution. One, If one is government mandated and one is totalitarian culture, we got to fight the totalitarian culture, fight it from that front. I don't I mean, know how, but- with the mask thing, um, we pretty much, we, I mean, we've pretty utterly failed. Um, and this will be an even greater argument. Um, well, I mean, this is a complicated issue because you have the pro the property rights issue on the one side, and then you have the privacy issue on the other. Mm -hmm. And the issue with COVID is it's a disease that, you know, it's communicable, I guess, is the word. You know, if I have it, I can give it to you. You have a 1% chance of dying. <laughs> I mean, I can argue that that's the case always. Maybe. I mean, so why, why haven't they forced us to take flu shots. I mean, right. oh, I just read that they apparently can. Go ahead, Ed, you wanted to say something? Well, I was going to say that everybody is talking about the liberty side of it. And I'm thinking back to our earliest episode, the first four or five episodes that we recorded. And we talked about the difference between libertarians and conservatives being that libertarians are for liberty and conservatives are for life. And although liberty is almost always the most useful tool to advance life it's not always and i think in the case of of the baker i don't think that there's any i don't know i mean i guess i'd have to think it through but 
I think that's what I think that's where the answer to this this dispute is going to lie. I don't. I think no. We're not taking into account the life side um, when it comes to the COVID vaccine. I mean, on the one hand, yes, you do have you have life involved as to whether you can expose someone to a virus, but then there's also the life side of someone being able to earn a living. And I'm not sure where where I would come out on that. Um, you know, I have my own views on the vaccine. I'm generally pro-science and pro-vaccine. Um, I'm pro-Trump. I'm not distrustful of Trump, but I am a little bit concerned about a vaccine that was rushed to market as fast as this was, especially for something, for, for a disease that is not dangerous for a very, very large segment of the population. So um, I think that, that the answer that we need to, I need to think about it is what I'm saying. I, I think that we're, we're all focusing on the liberty aspect of it, and we're really not focusing on the life aspect of it. So going along with, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Melissa. No, I was just, you brought up pro-science, pro-vaccine, and this, we kind of touched on this a little bit before, but for me, because I kind of feel like I kind of vacillate between libertarian and conservative, and I find that I am philosophically libertarian and politically conservative. And when I hear something like pro-science and pro-vaccine as if it is a push and pull between um, freedom and life, why, why, can't, why can't we have pro-science and pro-vaccine and pro-choice all in one? Meaning, I get it. Um, I support science, I support vaccines, and I support people's right to choose. And as a society, we then say, look, the best avenue to protect the life side of the equation doesn't have to be government force or government mandates. The pro-life part that can include choice is education is, okay, there's gonna be the outliers who are gonna say, I'm not gonna take this vaccine. I'm still gonna not take it. And I guess that's, it. I would, I would, I would wager if, 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 if the um, educational campaign is transparent and honest and truly science, which has been a monumental failure in COVID, but if it was truly a scientific education and dialogue and debate, more people would voluntarily choose the vaccine instead of saying, we don't, we're not letting you choose because life is on the other end. You've got freedom and you've got life and we're gonna force you to choose this I think you can have both is what I'm saying. And it's for education. Have both for the precise reason that liberty is usually the best means for advancing life. They don't usually conflict. But I mean, for instance, you know, should we have free trade with China? You know, should we send of all, all of our manufacturing base, including manufacturing of antibiotics to China? Now, the people who are saying liberty first, liberty, 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 they say yes. And if that's where it's produced cheap, most cheaply, then we send it there. I think if you're focused more on life, then maybe you do support tariffs or maybe even embargo on China. But and isn't there, aren't there nuances to that very, you know, idea, okay, let's just send it over to China. We had a totally free market, we would just because of because of cost of manufacturing and wages. I'm just we saying, have, yeah, isn't there other elements involved in that very process of let's shift it over there that might not support be supported by liberty? Just the notion, just saying, okay, well, just just so we're free to do it, we should be free to do it. Again, though, shouldn't we be educated to know, even, even if we want the freedom to do it, 
we should be smart to know, but should we do it? Is it really advantageous to us? I think clearly no. And even if you have the liberty to do it, I still think I would be all for boycotting companies that manufacture in China. And if I could easily separate them out and still be able to live my life here in America today, I absolutely would. Unfortunately, almost everything has a, a Chinese component to it. Um, but what I'm saying is, if you just focus on the liberty side of the equation, then you get people who dogmatically say, we have to have free trade with China. And I'm not saying that I'm against liberty. I'm not saying I'm against free trade as a general proposition. But I think that sometimes when, you, when you're advocating the liberty side and you've reached this sort of conundrum that we've reached with the vaccine, I think it's because we're probably overlooking something else like the life aspect of the equation. Um, I haven't really thought it all the way through because I wasn't really prepared for that level of discussion today. Um, but that's just my off the cuff thought about it. Elliot, you wanted to say something? Yeah, yeah. Like I said before, I think if we the reason China beats us is because their cost of labor and production manufacturing is so cheap because of different, they have the regulations. They're actually less authoritarian than we are in a lot of ways. They have no regulation for labor, so their labor could be pennies on the dollar. Our man, our minimum wage, Florida, New York now is now fifteen dollars an hour minimum. Meaning to produce the same thing costs a hundred times the amount. That's why they're beating us. If we had no regulation, meaning more freedom, we would be beating them. We wouldn't have to ship anything to China as far as manufacturing and labor done there. We can then. Again, so so they are symbiotic. You kind no, of you're you're, you're ignoring you're ignoring slave labor. Yeah, that that's the only problem. The only other thing I want to bring up, and then we'll move to another subject, maybe, is between the bakery and the vaccine. There's the next step, is how many governors and even national officials have mentioned that climate change is the biggest threat to life, and. <laughs> They're going to go way beyond vaccines and say employers can't hire you if you still eat meat because you're exuding too much methane or something. So I think we got to be really careful because this slippery slope is going all the way down. I tend to always want to be consistent. Um, I appreciate I have other people I know that say, OK, so I'm not consistent. I have trouble with that, but there may come a time where we all got to go that way. I don't know. Anyway, does anybody want to discuss it? Did should Trump and did Trump veto the bill? And it's interesting because apparently he just vetoed the National Defense Authorization Authorization Act, but did not yet veto the so-called stimulus pork bill. So I don't know if anybody saw that he vetoed the NDAA. I haven't seen that yet, but that I happened at three fifteen apparently. Yeah, I saw the headline, but I didn't research beyond that. And it's very confusing because it sounded like he vetoed the other thing, and supposedly he vetoed it partially because it didn't reform Section two thirty of the Communications Act, and for some other reasons. But if anybody wants to opine about Trump vetoing this unbelievable bill which seems to be the newest habit in this country is do absolutely nothing till December 31st and pass a six gazillion page thing. So well, I got to say, I, I, I wish I had heard a little bit more of this rhetoric from Trump over the last four years than what I just saw. Um, he's certainly within his rights to veto the bill. The whole thing is unconstitutional. All the spending. It's not just it's not just the foreign aid. It, it's the, the, re, the relief, too, for people. 
And I'm sympathetic, believe me, to people. Well, he's not he's not uh, vetoing it because it's unconstitutional. Yeah, he wants he wants you know, I know that he wants he he told us he wants more money and listen he wants more money and they may agree on giving us all two thousand, or of course we could go at Rand Paul and make it sixty thousand. I know it's he wants less money again in Pakistan. How dare he? Right. He wants to <laughs> I don't think he wants a bigger bill necessarily. He just wants the money going to foreign countries to be redirected to American citizens. But he was you know also what? calling for a bigger stimulus check for everybody. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm afraid what's going to end up happening is that they'll up it to 2000 and then keep all the foreign aid. That's what's going to end up happening. Yes. So, and- <laughs> that will be the uh, compromise, Melissa. Right. That'll right. be the compromise. Yes. Well, let me say this. I, I think um, he hasn't, I have, as of this afternoon, or earlier this afternoon, and we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, December 23rd, he had not vetoed it yet. And as far as I know, it hasn't even been presented to him yet. Uh, my, my guess is that he might be looking to pocket veto it because it passed with such large majorities that he might be afraid of, a, of an override of the veto. Um, Ed, excuse me one second. Please explain what that means because a lot of us and a lot of others sure. do not know what that means. Sure, pocket veto. Under Article 1, Section 7, when each house... When the House and the Senate pass an identical bill, it then must be presented to the president. That's a technical term of art. Um, just because they pass it doesn't mean it's presented. Once it's presented, the president then has 10 days to either sign it or veto it and send it back with his objections. If he does nothing, the bill automatically becomes law unless Congress is, has adjourned from session. And it does, the 10 days does not include Sundays. We're coming very close to January 3rd. I forget, January 3rd this year is a Sunday. I don't know if they're, the term usually ends for senators and, and members of the House on January 3rd at noon. Um, if, he can, if, he can hold the, if he can hold the veto off uh, and, put it, and put the legislation in his pocket, so to speak, and just not do anything, and Congress is adjourned, for the Christmas and New Year's holiday, he can he can then uh, if, if he if they're out of session, then it's just it's a, it's a pocket veto, and they can't. I don't know if they can override it or not, but even if they could, it's only going to be like I think it was January second or so that he. I mean, today is December twenty third, and I forget how many Sundays we have left, but there's eight days left of this year, and then it'll be the third day, so it'll be eleven days as of now, and you have two Sundays. He could probably take it almost to the to the end. And if they don't override the veto by the time this session of Congress ends, the bill dies and it would have to start all over again. So they could play the other game, which is to not adjourn, which they've pulled off in previous years also. They can do that. Yes. But I think he might be waiting to see if they're going to adjourn or not. I mean, it would be unheard of for them to not work, you know, to stay there from through Christmas. They've played that game where they leave like one senator or something. I know they've done that before to prevent... Um, recess appointments but basically so everybody here would agree he should veto it but we're all afraid he's going to do what melissa said he's going to do is that kind of the consensus you know i i have my issues with trump i uh, overall support him certainly definitely definitely over any democrat and i've loved a lot about him but this is one of them that kind of bugs me um and please correct me if i'm wrong but the only thing that i've heard him thus far say that he has a problem with on uh, this COVID stimulus is how much that it doesn't give enough to the individual. 
And I don't know if you guys have gone through any of it, um, the text, but, and maybe I'm reading it wrong. I keep asking myself, am I, am I, am I reading this wrong? But how many times it says in here, certain departments of our government get uh, new passenger vehicles and yeah. upgraded buildings. Okay. All of this, I mean, it's insanity. All of these, the, uh, this money going to federal departments for stuff. Why is he not railing against that? And, you know, I get it. Some people, and I, I'm certain the left will argue, well, that that's how we stimulate the economy because those new cars come from car companies and those um, building upgrades get to go, that money goes to the builders. But you know what? That's great. That logic is great. But you know who needs the new cars? Do you know who needs the building upgrades? It's the small businesses. They can stimulate the economy to be, you know, so they get to get shuttered while we spend bazillions of dollars giving more money back to the government. The government basically saying, we're gonna allot ourselves all this money from taxpayers. Why isn't he rallying against that big time? Well, well, I actually listened to his whole speech and not just the part that everyone kept quoting, um, but he, he did rail against all the, the foreign spending. And I believe he did say something about basically like government paying themselves, you know what I mean? I see it as a huge government paying themselves. Like how many pages of it is money going directly to certain departments for stuff? Yeah. I mean, that's so disgusting. Yeah. Well, let me say two, can I say two things, Jody? Number one, Trump is who he is. He has never been for reducing spending. He has always been about spending more. He has always said that he loves debt. He has run some of his businesses in such a way that he accumulates enough debt that he puts the bank in jeopardy and he puts the creditors in jeopardy so that they have to work with him. Um, and I'm not saying that necessarily be pejorative. I mean, I don't particularly like that strategy, but it is what it is. That is who he is. He's not a fiscal conservative in any way, shape or form. So to expect otherwise from him at this point, either in his term or, or in his life, I just think is unrealistic. Um, and then as far as you said something that really hit, struck me, you said that uh, the people who need this are the small independent businesses. And I think that's something that we really need to focus on because they are the target right now. And, and there's a reason why they're the target, not just- Whoa, whoa. was that a pun intended? Uh, target? Target, target <laughs> you know, the target retailer. I, don't, I mean, it yeah. wasn't an intended pun. Um, I think the Democrats have been against cars automobile for a long time. And the reason, although they won't admit it, is that they don't like the individual freedom that a car gives every person. And small independent businesses, small independent businesses give private individuals freedom to make their decisions for themselves and live their own lives. In the same way that the, that the Democrats are trying to herd people into public transportation, they're trying to herd people small business owners into employee jobs, either with the government itself or with these big corporations like Target or other, you know, Walmart or whatever that are beholden to the government and destroy their independence. So I don't think it's accidental that small businesses are left out of the, the mix here. I think it's by design. I think the whole shutdown against small businesses is by design because they are the big threat to the Democrat party. They're an independent power source that they can't control and they want to herd as many people as they can into these big corporations that Stephen was talking about earlier, where we can, they can be forced 
not through government mandate, but through corporate policy to, to comply with a whole bunch of government rules that the Constitution might forbid the government from imposing, but doesn't prohibit the, the private sector from imposing. You know, Ed, honestly, that is some seriously dark stuff. And 11 years ago, I would have called you a lunatic crazy man. And everything you said rings absolutely true to me now. Like, I've seen enough to know this is not, this is evil in motion. There's not good intentions going on here. Despite they're, they're, good intentions rhetoric, there's no good intentions. Mistake. They're trying, to hurt, they're trying to herd all of us into dependency. Let's be real. So I posted about five times on Facebook today, pretty much on every thread, what percentage of Congress just got reelected a couple of weeks ago. And people say, does Congress think we're stupid? Of course they think we're stupid. We are. We keep reelecting them. They have been, when's the last time we had a budget in the federal government? Anybody know? Uh, they have not gone by regular order for I don't know how long. Uh, a long time. They play this game and they throw these bills together and they just throw money out there and we keep voting for them, which again, that's why I don't have a lot of hope for the country as a country. Go ahead. I, I, I mean, I agree with all that, but I think you can't talk about the success of incumbents without talking about all the campaign res finance restrictions going all the way back to the, the Nixon era restrictions that were put in after Watergate. They basically make it very hard for independent candidates to challenge incumbents. Um, you know, I'm not quite old enough to remember Eugene McCarthy, but I'm old enough to have read about him and know who he was. He came out of nowhere and got the funding of a, a few a handful of rich people and basically made a sitting president, Lyndon Johnson, quit the race. That just doesn't happen anymore. And it's just really hard for private citizens and private individuals, even wealthy ones, as we saw, you know, all the billionaires who ran in the last election cycle, it's hard for them to win. I mean, it's hard for, you know, between the franking privilege that Congress grants to itself and, and other incumbent protections that they have from finance restrictions, it's just really hard. I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily the American people are stupid. I think the game is rigged and tilted way in favor of the incumbents. It's tilted and that accounts for a few points, maybe one or two or three percentage points. But the fact is that we have 73 million or a total of 160, 180 million sheep still affirmatively voting for the same bastards and corrupt politicians again and again every two years. You no, know, again, I live in so Illinois and 100% of every voter affirmatively voting for Mr. Evil Politician again and again every two years. So I know that you know they have they do have incumbent advantages and I've written about them, of course. Uh, but still, people still affirmatively vote for people who they say are evil, and the next day they vote for them again because, well, the Democrats worse. Well, the Republicans worse. Well, this one is such a good politician, he'll save the whole goddamn country. Well, listen, I'm very guilty of voting for Republicans because Democrats are worse, but uh, living in Illinois, I'll tell you, there is, it is, I've said it before, it's bizarre to watch people who, you don't really need a formal education. You don't even really need a functioning media in this state to tell you that the Democrats are utterly destroying it. There's not another party in this area, in Chicago in particular, there's not another party to blame. And things are horrible. Problems don't get solved. Uh, worse, they get worse. And yet you see blue yard sign after blue yard sign during election cycles. And so that kind of tells me, and we know, I know in living in the state, the media is in the pocket for Democrats, but 
Why does that matter when you live it, when you know, when you see it? Why do you have to be educated to understand, huh, big government in the state is doing a disservice to me and um, my Jody, Jody, excuse me. 12 years ago, I knew this wonderful woman, Jody Carroll. And why did she have to be educated? Uh, comparing me now to me then, I thought I was educated, Steve. So I that's the point. That's the point. You I were educated and you still believed all that stuff. So why didn't you see it? Well, uh, it wasn't as bad then is I guess what uh, the only thing I could blame back then. I didn't feel it then as much. It wasn't as bad as it is now. I lived, um, well, prior to that in Chicago in a very nice Chicago area. And so I didn't really see it. I didn't know. I had a, maybe a couple instances with my aldermen where I'm like, she's freaking bat shoot crazy. But um, otherwise I was snowed. I was one of those people. I followed the moral argument. I always followed the more, I still follow the moral argument. The difference between me and then is not that I land in the moral place. The difference between me now and me then is I completely lacked facts and logic underpinning my moral conclusions. Now my moral conclusions, the whole foundation is facts and logic. It's the, really the only difference between me now and me then. And I saw this phenomenon in New York City, and I remember asking three years ago, every person in New York City, in the Bronx, Democrats who voted for de Blasio, the mayor, and voted for Cuomo, the Democrat governor, every person I met, 100%, said they hated them, hated everything about them. They followed a little bit. They knew what Cuomo did. He was disgusting. He did a lot of horrible things. De Blasio was terrible. More surveillance, more taxes, more crap, more gun control. They knew this. And they still voted for him, what, 63, 70%. And this is a phenomenon where we see, and I'm sure uh, Mike and Ed, you see it in New Jersey, where everyone hates, people don't like Phil Murphy. Go ask the next 100 people you see. Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. Ask the next 100 people you see. What do you think about Phil Murphy? I guarantee at least 90 of the 100 will say they hate him. Yet they will vote for him because Democrat, Republican, the whole duopoly system. You know, it's a I- phenomenon. I think there's a little bit, because I really do think people vote based on, uh, I, I think a lot of people, not all, but most people want to believe that their vote is a moral conclusion about them. Like, oh, see, look, I vote for all this big government stuff because I care about others. They have this twisted moral. And, you know, the first thing I say to that is there is nothing, there's nothing compassionate about casting a vote every two to four years to help another human being. You know, from me you know what's compassionate to help another human being? Get your boot out there or your own money out there, but voting for someone else's money every two to four years is not an act of compassion. But I think a lot of people haven't make, made that jump from, again, the difference between me now and me then is logic and facts underpin my moral conclusions. The me then would have would have been okay with well, but you know I really believe in government stuff to help others. Therefore, ergo, I am really moral, and I can be seen as moral by other people. They know, oh my gosh, I only vote for Democrats because I care about others. Yeah, I think it's so pervasive in people's minds in the center, in the center left, and maybe even the soft right. I think that is so much of their functioning. That is um, soft right too, because Trump had the exact same phenomenon, right? They view Trump as being immoral in some way because mm -hmm. he's so, because of his personality. 
Um, and so, yeah, that's when he loses the soft Republicans because and I've heard it from people who have always voted Republican and they hate him so much that they, they can't vote for him because he's so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I tell those people is Trump is a pig, but he's kind of upfront about it. Everyone knows he's a pig. He doesn't deny it. But the others who all politicians are probably pigs. We've all seen House of Cards. It's realistic. They're all pigs. They pretend they're classy because they wear a nice suit and they speak differently off teleprompters. Trump right. is very open. I'm a pig, I'm a dog, I do a lot of good, a lot of bad, here I am. Um, and I think he is a pig and I have a lot of issues with him. But um, yeah, people go based on their morals. They somehow think that government e- equals morality. And, yes. it's, and they're so classy and so- They've so- been told that for a long time. This is, you know, because the, the, the cultural narratives have captured that mindset over decades. And at this point, it's so ingrained, I think, in people to believe that voting for Democrats and voting for big government is the moral choice. They so believe that um, because Democrats have worked so hard for so long to win the cultural battle first that I think now it's so culturally ingrained that you get a state like Illinois where literally people don't believe their own eyes. It, it, It can't compute that Democrats are immoral. And this is where I want to so badly, so badly want, because it's not just that Trump is honest about who he is. It's that the Democrats are dishonest and deceptive about evil that they're actually doing, about people being locked in poverty, about people being, generations of poverty, about the, the, the absolute destruction of black families, of them being locked in violence that they that 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 they were never quite locked in that they are now all in democrat jurisdictions and yet these people still get away with the moral win and what? if i want people to see behind that and say they are not the moral choice well let me say let me i'd like to respond to that jody i i mean obviously you're onto something important but i think you you need to start by defining terms, you know, specifically, well, what, what do you mean by morality? What is the moral choice? Um, I think that morality and law are inexorably intertwined. I think law, the law that a society has is the translation of the prevailing morality into laws. You know, the libertarian, the conservative mindset is more of a, uh, you know, the non-aggression principle. But that is a moral principle. And, you know, when you create laws that implement that, it is you're translating that personal morality into laws that govern the entire society. Democrats have a different morality, and that's why they attack us. And their morality is different than ours. And in particular, they think that capitalism is an immoral system. They think personal responsibility is immoral. They think individual responsibility is immoral. Everything is collective collective responsibility. Um, they don't believe that, you know, they, be- they truly believe it takes a village to do everything. And that's why they're so viscerally opposed to any of the things that you talk about. And that's why no matter how often we point to the failures of their policies, the end result, their ace in the hole is always they're moral. We mean well. And so you're that's immoral. The part, that's the part I try and argue against. That's I, I, listen. If I had met me 11 years ago or 20 years ago, well, if I had met me 20 years ago, I would have voted differently. Why? Because 
I would have brought forward and said, look, whether or not people are locked in poverty matters, whether or not, you know, we have a society that um, has that economic ladder for to climb matters, whether or not children are uh, brought up in perpetual violence matters. I, the difference between what didn't happen 20 years ago is people were talking about that, talking about it's not good to have kids and families, generations locked in poverty, unable to climb out, and, and then the violence that ensues. All of those things, they're not okay. And before I would have said, see, we just need, it's a village. We just need to give more money to the government to solve these problems. If, if I could have talked to myself 20 years ago, I would have shown myself, look, I get it. I completely agree with you. Um, but here's what is happening because of government. Not it, They're not solving it. And I would have been able to show them the results. Nobody ever showed that to me before. Not ever. I even would ask. I would say, please make your argument. I never got it. But Jody, the results are obvious. You don't need an argument. Just drive through the bad parts of Chicago. Well, that's what I said now. Like I live in, but there's people out there still like me. I don't know how many, but they're not in Illinois. I don't think it's that they don't understand the arguments. I just think that they accept a different morality. You know, we talked about the universities being schools, you know, purveyors of poison in our culture. The school, the so are you saying that they don't care about locking people in poverty and violence? They literally don't. I think they don't. Even, violence is a non-issue. Do you think that? I think that they don't even. They they view it in different terms. They view it as we're you know we're collectively responsible. The the criminal is not responsible for the violence. If there's violence in these places, it's because we're not compassionate. We're not compassionate enough as a society. Capitalism is not compassionate. I mean, they have all sorts of excuses that ultimately boil down to the individual is not personally responsible for his own actions. And you and I believe that the individual is responsible for his own well, actions. Then I need out. I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not, I, I'm not on board with that. I, I'm for secession then call me a traitor, but that is not okay. That is just not okay. No, I think, you know, Ed, Ed is really making a really good point as always. Um, once you, if you have to define moral, we don't have the same sets of morals and that that's the basic problem we think is moral they think is immoral and vice versa and by the way i'll just throw into the mix that all this was done long term by destroying the church that's how they made the governor the government into the mother and father of everything and the arbiter of morals and values and they did that on purpose and it's worked wonderfully I would argue that government-funded science has also become its own religion now. Also, absolutely, Where we're here with COVID policy. Yeah. Well, I think I think Ayn Rand uh, kind of touched on that in her her rather lengthy tone. <laughs> yes, the the what the Minister of Science? What was it called? Uh, the State Science Institute. State Science Institute. Yeah, I think she. Uh, I think she covered that one quite well. <laughs> okay, you know anybody following Bill Whittle? Yes. Well, I only do if you send him send his videos to me, which so I always appreciate. I'm sorry. I always appreciate it when you send. So Bill Whittle's interesting. I used to follow him a lot. Then I stopped. I'm following him some more now. And he started this new series. I think he calls it "Moving Back to America," and he's really trying to wrestle with himself about what it is we should do. Some of which I think is really smart. But in one of his recent episodes. 
he said the only way to save the country is for us grassroots people to get off our duffs and run for office. And it's, I wish we could get him on here to debate with him because he forgot what we've been saying. To run for office, several people in this group today have run for office. Only one of the people in this group, as far as I know, has ever won an office. And that's in a state where it's much easier relatively. You can't just run for office. You have to get ground up by a political machine before you get anywhere, if I'm not mistaken. And especially once you get to anything past dog catcher. And I think he's very, very naive on that. You can't just run for an office. So Jody Carroll can't wake up one morning and say, I'm gonna run. She has to go to her Republican party and get through all of their stuff. Am I not correct about that, Ed? I know you've run for office. I think it's partly correct. I mean, it depends on whether you have your own independent money, especially for a small local race. Um, I'm one of the people on the panel that has run for office. Um, I did not have the money that I really needed to, not just to, to put signage up and, and to, you know, really effectively run the way I wanted to, but, you know, I was so busy with work that it was hard for me to, to you know, I couldn't really take time off and, and knock on as many doors as I would have liked to have. Um, but yes, I mean, depending upon where you are, you do have to get vetted by the party. I mean, it, it depends where you are, though. I mean, I didn't have to get vetted at all. I mean, we in our in, in my town, I mean, the one where, that I'm leaving in New Jersey, if you had a pulse and you were willing to say you're a Republican, you were a Republican. And if you were willing to run and get the signatures, you know, you they would take anybody. But in order to get the financial backing, which you do need, you have to play certain games. Yeah, it depends on level of office you're talking about once you get to state rep anything like that you you have to sell certain parts of your soul to get enough money to even start into such a race and i think it sounds really good to say that any american run for a state race which is what he's aiming for taking over state legislatures with citizens and i just don't think it can be done well, that's I mean, that's why Young Americans for Liberty exists, because their goal is to get, you know, state legislators <laughs> elected who are pro-liberty, because, yeah, the reality is the pro-liberty people tend to not, like, get the financial backing, um, and so they're willing to, you know, they raise the money, they, you know, spend money on candidates. Um, yeah, New Hampshire's definitely an exception. I mean, I ran a $5,000 race and won, you know, I, oh. so that's, you know, and, and but, that was all small donations. Melissa, I'm just going to mention, I happen to know someone who recently won a race in New Hampshire. And there's a lot of really good people in their legislature. And I also happen to know that that person got zero um, distance, got absolutely nowhere in trying to effect policy there because the entire Republican establishment went against that legislator. So Bill Whittle, I think, missed it twice. A, it's almost impossible to run because of money, et cetera. And B, even 50 legislators are still crushed by their party bosses. And party bosses are the ones who make the rules. So you look at New Hampshire and you look at, I was just listening, somebody was saying he's a friend of Alan West. And Alan West told him that within two days of getting to Congress, he was sat down with everybody else and told the rules. So you don't, change anything by getting elected. You have probably a hundred good legislators in New Hampshire. Yep. And how many people voted for your resolution? Well, um, we weren't all there, but I only got 95, 97, 97 votes. But you were told what? You're basically persona non grata for challenging 
Kings in Oh yeah. No, I'm definitely um on the bad boys list. Um but you know what? There has to be those too, you know. But and I'm so saying I, it's not so easy to just take over a legislature. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. And I have, I, I mean, right now I'm I have the majority of the majority, but that's still only, you know, approximately a quarter of the legislature. So um that's that doesn't get any I mean, listen, it's enough to block a vote. And I think down the line, that's what we're going to have to do. Um, have Obviously, to I was not speaking about you. I was speaking about other no, I know, hypothetical I know people. And you just had hard. another speaker race there. And the speaker race, just like in Congress, the same thing with state legislatures, you don't have a lot of effect. Those, those um, elections are determined in a smoke-filled room at some level, and they change where a legislature is going to go. Speaker race well, was, a, was not good. I'm saying, but how much say does the average legislator have in who's the speaker? You're told who you're going to vote for. No, I wasn't told who I was going to vote for. But um, yeah, no, the kind of the establishment backed the person who ran and um, they made the phone calls. And Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so it's not that easy you know. to just run and uh, win and have any effect whatsoever. So yeah. I, I wish that were true. But it's just not that simple, unfortunately. Taking over any mechanism, and again, I think it goes back to having these parties that we have, but I don't think there's any way to not have these parties. I think that's that's a done deal. Yeah, I mean, I think going back to the Tea Party days, 2009, 2010, that's really where some of the focus should have been was taking over the parties because they're the ones who determine who the candidates are. You know, in New Jersey, we have something called the line where you... you get a benefit of having the party essentially endorsing you um, in primaries. So I, I, I think that's where you really have to start. You can't just be just going to run for office. I decided a long time ago, elections are decided about three years before they start. And those are, those are decided in the smoke-filled rooms. Who's going to run? Who's going to get the backing in the primary? By the time the election comes, you're left with Trump and Hillary. You're not uh, left or, or uh, Biden and Trump. When I was at Americans for Prosperity, the, the hardest thing was dealing with the Republicans and, and getting them to, to vote the right way. But the Democrats forget it. You're like you weren't going to get them. So, you know, we had a big fight over a gas tax hike in New Jersey. We used to have one of the lowest gas taxes and Republicans started to turn. They cut their little deal under Chris Christie. Uh, you know, we were putting pressure on some Republicans in certain districts. And you knew that, you know, they, they turned because they were told how to vote. Okay, before we close for the day, and I'm gonna let everybody talk as much as they want, but I know for many people on this call who are not of the Jewish faith, there's a big holiday coming up and I don't wanna be all doom and gloom. And I wanna mention the good news is we're heading in a good direction as a country because the Cleveland baseball team is dropping their name. So it's not all doom and gloom, good things are happening. We will no longer be calling them by a uh, derogatory name. Go ahead, Ed. Well, I just wanted to say something about that last uh, last part of our conversation. Um, I think, first of all, Bill Whittle, I love the guy, and I think that he's a smart guy. Uh, I think that he can do a lot more positive things doing what he's doing now than he can by running for office. That's number one. Um, I think that there's a, a division of labor, and I don't think everybody should run for public office. Um, and I'm not just talking about famous people like him. 
Um, I even think about myself sometimes because I've, I've almost ran this year and I'm going to be moving to a new place and maybe I'll run, maybe I won't. But in many respects, I think that being able to be an advocate outside the political process and influence the, the, politi the politicians from the outside can be even more effective than being one on the inside. Um, so I don't think that that should, be, I think he's overlooking that. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, the, the Republican party. And my position is that I think that it's just corrupt and rotted at the core. And, you know, I look at, I look at what Trump has done since November 4th. He's raised about $200 million. We don't know what he's going to use that money for, but maybe he's going to use, maybe he can use that money to seed a, a new party, like, like an America first party or some other party. I mean, I don't know, and I have no inside information on that, but I think that all what you what you're pointing out, Steve, and some of the others who've spoken, where you have to follow party leaders and the party sets the rules, I think that's just institutionalized corruption at the Republican of the Republican Party, and I think that there are enough good people that if we get one or two conservative leaders, whether you know Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley or Matt Getz or somebody else, I think we can start a new party and start building something that's a little cleaner from within. Now, you'd always have to be vigilant of, of the same corruption creeping in, but I think we've got a much better chance of building something from scratch with the right people than we do of, of fumigating the Republican Party, because I don't see the Republican Party reforming itself. Okay, so this is a better question for the beginning of a show than the end of a show but I took an hour off over the weekend to reread Animal Farm. And my philosophical question is, were Snowball and Napoleon bad pigs or will any pig given power become that way? And it scares me to death that almost anyone given the power will go that route. And part of my proof is the Declaration of Independence saying, you know, there's going to come a time where we got to start over and over. We got to keep rebooting and that no one smart thinks this can last for that long a time. I've always said if I were in the White House, I assume I would be no better than anybody else sooner or later because power corrupts. And that, that scares me. And next week, you know, it's really exciting. We're going to be talking to Daniel Miller about the Texas nationalist movement and secession. But it scares me to death of they fought a revolution 200 plus years ago and we're fighting to destroy that now because look what happened to it. Is that just inevitable? I don't think it's inevitable, but I think that it's inevitable if you're not vigilant. You know, I, I, you know one of my political aphorisms is that no political victory is ever permanently won or ever permanently lost. Too many people think that the victory in the American Revolution and the establishment of the US Constitution somehow was a final victory and we don't have to be vigilant anymore that we've, we've won. And the reality of the last 125 years shows we haven't, I mean, we may have won at a time, but when we rested on our laurels, the enemy regrouped and, and, and got back together and, and they've been coming after us and coming back harder and, and stronger than, than we were ready for. Um, so it's not inevitable, but we have to be prepared to fight. We have to be prepared to be vigilant and, you know, I'm not calling for revolution like we were talking earlier on the show necessarily, but maybe we maybe that is where we're going to go. I don't know. Uh, but I do know that we, we have to get it out of the mindset of, you know, we just need to get six justices on the Supreme Court or we need to pass 
Section 230 reform, or we need, you know, that some one or two or 10 reforms are going to fix it. There's no permanent fixes. Even when you, if you got all the things that you wanted passed, you still have to remain vigilant because especially in a free society, the bad guys have the freedom to advocate for bad things. That's part of an, a free society. Listen, that, this is what Madison talked about, right? It's only a parchment barrier is what he would say about the constitution. Well, I'm going to use a technological metaphor here because I remember many years ago when somebody said, why well, you need an antivirus thing on your computer? He said, it's basically like people are sitting outside of your house with cannons and tanks 24 seven attacking you and sooner or later, something's going to get through. And I think the left works like that. And unless you have a very informed, committed, vigilant citizen on the other side, we're always going to lose. And it gets back to the problem of before the citizens aren't watching and the citizens aren't vigilant and they're not holding politicians to the to the fire, their feet well, to the fire. It, it's well, made it's made all the more worse because we have a distant, far off, all powerful government. We don't have a limited government. We don't have a local control over so many things in our lives that pe the people decide, the local politicians decide. So what else can we do? But, you know, that's why people are. Throw their, their hands up, they shrug. You know, right. Which, by yeah. the way, we're lucky enough to have somebody here representing New Hampshire. What I love about New Hampshire is the legislators, because they're not paid over there, are regular folks. Now, you try to get a New York or a New Jersey legislator on a phone. Well, they're not paid in New Jersey much either. More than 100 yeah, a year, I assume. They're, they're not paid a lot. A lot of them. But do you have their home phone number? Supplementing other income, or they're they have two offices. That, <laughs> that we also they, have serious overturn. Like people don't stay very long because we don't get paid. So um, you know, two or three terms is usually about it. Um, so big, it's you know, constantly. Um, well, you probably have the most citizen legislature in the country. We do absolutely. We're just regular people. Like I don't know anybody who's like you know. I mean, listen, high powered or something big in the party necessarily um, or anything like that. Um, we also don't work very much, <laughs> which is great because we I don't, don't have meant, that's time to come around and make a stupid law. Listen, that's what we want from our government for y'all to not exactly. work your own business and leave us all alone. I think she may want to rephrase that. <laughs> Well, we yeah, only have six somebody, months out uh, of the year. Um, we only have sessions six months out of the year. And then we only, um, you know, it's it's a part-time job. It's not, you know, a full-time job. We are not pro professional politicians. We're just people. Um, and like I said, I mean, I can, also there's 400 of us. So I only represent 3,500 people at any given time, which is like nothing. So there's so many of us that that also means that you can just get more regular people in. There are districts where you don't have to do anything except stick your sign out. Um, I think that's part of what Mike's saying because in the federal government, we're so distant. There's what do the congressmen represent? I think seven hundred fifty thousand people or something. It, it just doesn't work anymore. Right at this level. Right. But, you know, listen, I think there's also a little bit of an argument to be made that they should be paid more because that that way you'll get better people, good people willing to do You're it. not going to get better people than Melissa. Wait, Come on, if, Mike. If, 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 wait, 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 wait. In New Jersey, if you're going to end up with a $35,000 salary on the year when you can make six figures in the private sector, who, who's going to who's going to 
leave their job to, to do that. Well, because there's oh, also other states operate more as a full-time job. This just isn't. Yeah. This is a very part-time job. So you have to have a real job. I mean, the other people in my town, like one is a teacher, one is, you know, she teaches exercise classes. I mean, like we're just normal people who have real jobs that maybe have a little bit more flexibility so we can go to session on a Wednesday. But um you know. I don't want it to be a full-time job, man. Right. Think of, that's way too much, much time, time focused on what laws you're going to be doing to me. I, I'm really, I, as part-time exactly. as possible. Limited, that we can only do so much. You're not, they're not just sitting around thinking about what stupid laws they can yeah. impose on yeah. us next. Yeah. I found it funny. Somebody posted something on Facebook earlier this week. It was a picture of some legislators like asleep during the session. And I said, that is better when they're sleeping. I said, it's when they're awake that there are problems. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay, folks, we're going to wrap up for the season. Um, anybody can make any closing statements and thoughts that they would like. Melissa, you're a guest. If you want to say anything. No, I'm, in. I'm happy to come on and tell about whatever fight I'm fighting next because every week seems like it's a different one. Well, that's what Ed just said. They never stop. Mike, you want to say something to everybody? Well, I'll just uh, say if, for our liberal friends out there, if you've ever decried the evil pharmaceutical companies, then by all means, don't get your vaccination. Um, other other <laughs> than that. <laughs> by the way, that's that's a comment you should have made at the beginning because that's a whole other subject. And I'm glad you said that. So. Talk about logical inconsistency. Like, uh, happy Festivus um, and <laughs> happy holidays, everybody. Jody? No, I just want to close happy holidays. Um, see you guys next year. No, May not this year. We're on next week. We're on before That's the new year. Right. Sorry, one more time before. Yeah, next, next year and next week we're going to have TNM, Texas Nationalist Movement. Ed, I give you the final uh, words of wisdom. Okay. Um, well, I'll start off by wishing everybody a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and a Happy New Year and a Happy Healthy New Year. I hope everybody has a you know a good time in store for us. Um, I. I wanted to add one thing to the discussion about the stimulus bill that I'd meant to say earlier and I didn't, and then I'll make a, a larger point about something else unrelated. Um, I noticed that the, the $600 or $2,000 checks that are proposed are gonna be, they're only for people making up to $75,000 and they're phased out up to $99,000. And I find it curious that for Democrats that are supporting this bill, they're willing to, to go $99,000 is, is too high to receive a payment, but their number one tax issue is re restoration of the full SALT deduction. And this full SALT deduction, SALT is uh, uh, state and local taxes, and it primarily deals with uh, property taxes that are over $10,000 a year. I don't think there are many, if any, people earning uh, you know, paying more than $10,000 a year in property taxes that aren't earning a lot more than $99,000 as, as a couple. So they're, they're trying to, to redistribute money to their wealthy, uh, wealthy Democrat friends and wealthy Democrat suburbs. Um, that's, that's really part of what's going on there. And, and no Republican that I know of is making that case. Um, and I would like somebody to point it out. So I wanted to point it out. Um, my, uh, my unrelated point, we, we, We've had several weeks now where we haven't talked about all the election stuff. And frankly, I'm kind of glad about that. Uh, I don't, there's not a lot I really want to talk about, except that I think 
number one, there is a major difference between looking at something and saying, I think that there was election fraud and on the one hand, and on the other hand, being able to prove it either to a court, to the satisfaction of a court or to the satisfaction of a legislate state legislature to overturn an election. Uh, we've had numerous instances of judges overturning elections, whether it was Al Franken overturning Norm Coleman, or as I mentioned on this show a couple of weeks ago, the, the New York 22nd district race, uh, the Republican was ahead by 28,000 votes on election day. And uh, last I looked, she was ahead by I think 11 votes because the judge kept throwing more and more votes out. Um, I think we need to be really careful about um, calling on judges and even legislatures to overturn elections. Um, but more fundamentally, this whole notion that I find that a lot of people seem to just know that there was fraud. And, and I believe there's been fraud. Uh, we've talked about it on this show a little bit. Um, but I'm, I'm starting to get the sense that the, the systemic fraud or, or you know, the, the widespread fraud is, is becoming akin to um, systemic racism. It's designed as a charge to disarm your opponent, to pin him down, and basically brand him as immoral if he tries to deny what you're arguing. Um, yes, I think that there was some fraud out there, but um, there are a lot of things that Trump could have done beforehand. He didn't. Um, the time to challenge a lot of the things was before the election. And he, he for the most part, didn't. Um, and I think that it concerns me how many people are just, not just invested in the, there is fraud, and you know they just know it, even though it can't, it hasn't been proved. And and in fact, some of the allegations that Sidney Powell has made and and Lynn Wood have made, uh, they admit in their pleadings that the Smartmatic and and Dominion, so the Smartmatic software and Dominion machines can't, um, they can't even be audited to show the fraud because the fraud is detect is undetectable. So if it's not if it's not susceptible to proof. I don't see how we can say definitively that it happened, even though we all think that it did. Um, you know, there's a difference between saying, I think OJ did it and saying whether it was, whether it was proven in court that he, that he did it. Um, and I just, I look at people that are, they just convinced to the point where they're ready to talk about civil war and martial law and, and really overthrowing our, our government based on a feeling. And, it, and it's a feeling that I share, but, um, you know, Melissa talked earlier in the show about the redress of grievances and revolution being a last resort. And, and I think that's right. I think it is the last resort. And I'm very angry about what happened. Um, I'm disappointed in, in a lot of things Trump had did. But um, I'm concerned about how many people have made it almost a religion the same way, you know, systemic racism is a religion. And you know, if you go and try and disprove or, or argue against somebody who believes this systemic racism, there's no discussing it with them. I mean, they just believe it and they see it everywhere. And there's no there's nothing to discuss or even debate it with them. So I'm concerned about that. We haven't really gotten into that in the last few weeks. And I haven't pushed for it because, frankly, I'm glad to be talking about other things. But um, I just thought that was something that I wanted to, to put out there, especially uh, now that the the election challenges are mostly over. Um, you know, a lot of people put faith in the county, the electoral college votes on January 6th. I don't think that's going to change anything, but, you know, we'll see. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll just finalize, find, you know, close by saying right after the election, I said I was really concerned about Georgia. And, you know, I'm glad that in the last week or so, week to 10 days, the, the polling that's going on down there seems to indicate that the race is tilting towards the Republicans. And that would be a very good thing if it does. I, I only hope so. And I only hope it, it's, you know, that it's real and it's, and it's not too late because we, we need to save this republic and we need to win the, at least one, if not both of those seats. So with that, I'll say thank you, everybody. Again, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah and Happy New Year to you guys all and to all of our listeners. Okay, only thing I'll say is I don't think the new cycle is going to be as slow this year as it is most years during the holidays. I think there's still a whole bunch of hopping and bopping and popping. But with that, We'll be up on SoundCloud within half an hour to an hour. We thank people for joining us today. As always, you can join us live and chime in. And next week at four o'clock, we will be with Daniel Miller, who is heading up the Texas Nationalist Movement. So have a wonderful evening and happy holidays. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everybody.